I'm still Josh. I'm still a compulsive overeater. And I have pictures to prove it, which I'm passing around. I also have sending around something from my senior year of high school that they had me make for... It was, um, you got to make your own page for your yearbook. And that was what I wanted, and that's what I have in my yearbook. And that's a color version of it. And uh, you can kind of see where I was at um, in high school and how much um, food and um, being overweight and all that stuff had to do with my identity um, and who I was. Um, So, and that is a big part of my story. So June 29th, uh, one day at a time, last year celebrated 15 years of abstinence. Um, And it is very much one day at a time. It is very much my higher power. And today I need to talk about my higher power, so I will be talking about my higher power. But we do have a newcomer here, and um, I will tell my story. Um, So I'll talk about kind of a little bit about what it was like. Um, I don't remember a time when I wasn't a compulsive overeater. Um, my uh, mom, who is here, is an amazing cook, and my first uh, question when I got home from school would be, what's for dinner? And uh, usually be something great, and everything was good. I didn't have to worry. But believe it or not, occasionally she would make something that I wasn't in the mood for, that I didn't want, and that would completely ruin my night, and I wouldn't know how I was going to get through the night without my foods, um, without the food that I wanted. It's not that I didn't eat. There was still plenty to go around, um, but it wasn't, it wasn't what I was in the mood for, so I felt very deprived. Um, and um, favorite story to tell is I was eight years old, about eight years old, I was me going on a car trip, and... Um, and I got really excited for the car trip because it was an hour and a half. So I went to um, their, my parents' um, pantry where they had all the foods and the snacks and all the good stuff. And I went with two grocery bags and I filled it up with food. I still remember exactly what I put in there, like really good stuff. I was excited for this car trip. I get into the car with my friend and my friend's dad in the back seat. He turns to the back seat. He says, Josh, there's no eating in my car. And um, I still remember the feeling of, wow, how am I going to get through this hour and a half car trip without eating? Um, and, um, and I was resentful and I was scared and I was fearful and I didn't, I didn't know I was going to do it. And, um, you know, sports were always harder for me um, because I was overweight. I wasn't very athletic. I'd get made fun of um, around sports and I, you know, wouldn't want to be around that. So I was much better, you know, things like chess, you know, that was a little more um, my speed. Um, but, um, you know, I, um, when I got to middle school, it, it was, you know, getting even made fun of more. It was a new environment. It was a different school. And, you know, got some advice that if I, you know, laugh at myself about it, if I make fun of myself, then they won't want to make fun of me about it. So a lot of my identity became like the jovial, fat, funny guy. And I became a lot more popular, I thought, as a result of that. Um, but a lot of it, you know, was just per- portraying that I had confidence or whatever, you know, and so on. And, um, and so I was... You know, it was such a big part of my identity and who I was and a way for me to eat the way that I wanted. I was afraid to look the way that I look today. I didn't want to be, you know, thinner because I thought that if I was, that people wouldn't like me. Um, it was, you know, I thought that that was like why people liked me was because I was the fat, cool guy or funny guy or whatever. And this was kind of the barrier and I didn't have to be um, real with other people. Um, you know, it's, I have this threefold disease. I have the emotional physical and spiritual disease and uh, physical when I came into program it was pretty easy for me to see because when I started eating I couldn't stop and I physically had all this excess weight 
Um, but I also have this emotional disease and this spiritual disease. And keeping the weight on for me, the physical part, was allowing me to also be able to isolate on the emotional and spiritual level as well. Um, and physical level. Um, and today, you know, thank God, you know, I have a relationship with um, my wife for now, um, October, we celebrated eight years, where uh, most of the time I can connect with her on a physical, emotional, and spiritual level. And that's a miracle of this program. Because before program, I couldn't connect with people on that level. I had lots of friends, but I couldn't really be myself around them. And um, so, you know, I, I, um, when I, you know, got to high school, I mean, it was such a big part of my identity. I mean, literally, they put me in charge of the piting contest. Um, I remember we went on a um, trip to um, the, uh, Jack knows, the obligatory trip to Israel. And um, the... Um, <laughs> I lost all this weight because you had to hike and do all this, these things and the food was like you could only eat so many times and I got back and I said the hard part is losing the weight and of course we all know that's not necessarily the hard part um, but now you know just you know keep it off and I remember consciously deciding I'm going to gain the weight back in some because I did not want to lose the weight in high school I, was not, I wasn't ready to, to deal with that and um and, you know, they asked me, what do you want to do for a career at high school? They said, what, what, what would you want to do for work? I had no idea. So I went home to my parents and said, they asked, what do you want to do for work? And I had great advice. They said, you should do something that you love because that way every day when you go to work, it won't feel like a job. Right? It was very good advice. So I thought about it. I thought about it. And I came up with it. And I was going to be a food critic because <laughs> that way... That way I would get paid to eat. And I literally was like writing for the school newspaper. I had a food journal. Like I was doing all these things. Um, but, you know, the biggest problem was I wasn't terribly critical. So that was, that was an issue. Um, and then, um, you know, I cared about things like portion sizes and, you know, the price and that kind of thing. Um, but, um, but in all seriousness, thank God today I'm not a food critic. I have a profession that I do love and enjoy. Um, and that I do feel, feel fulfilled in most days. And, uh, and for the most part, I'd say that's a miracle of this program more than anything else. Um, and it didn't have to be, you know, just eating. So <laughs> that's, that's a miracle. Um, and um, the, um, I'm trying to think of where I was going. But when I got to college, it got really bad with the food. And, and when I got my license, it was getting worse because I could get more of what I wanted when I wanted it. And... Um, in college, they had the, uh, dorm, the dorm food, which was all you could eat, right? And I would go and, you know, eat that during the day, and then it would open for dinner around 5 o'clock. And I'd go at 5, 5.30, and I'd eat all this crap and, you know, just eat double portions and so on. And then um, come around 11 p.m. midnight, um, I would hit the drive through um, and there was a drive through that I really liked. I went to school about an hour east of here. So I like to say I can tell you every drive through from here to an hour east um, and um, there was one that would close 1 a.m. during the week and 1.30 during the weekends. And I would go there oftentimes and I would get double portions of stuff. And then oftentimes I would either hit the donut shop um, or I would hit another drive-through, like one of the 24-hour drive-throughs around 3, 4 in the morning. And as you can imagine, this didn't feel good physically to be eating, you know, in this kind of way. And not just eating like a little bit each time, but like really, really binging. And, um, and I would literally eat so much to the point where um, I was physically in pain, where I would have, you know, diarrhea. I'd be sitting there on the toilet um, with diarrhea, saying to myself, Josh, you know, you can't eat like this. You can't, you can't go on like this. And then, 
you know, hour and a half later, a um, couple hours later, hour later, whenever, whenever I was physically able to eat again, not when I was hungry, but when I was physically able to eat again, I'd be eating. And that's what it was like. And um, if it was deep fried, if it was Dr. Pepper, if it was a milkshake, if it was a burger, I was interested because that stuff numbed me out and it was cheap. And it just got to the point. Um, otherwise, you know, I couldn't be bothered. And I wanted it greasy. I wanted it then. Um, and if I thought about it, then I was going to usually get it. Um, and, th- and that's what it was like. And one of the things that's a little bit different about my story is I wasn't one of those compulsive readers that would, like, close the drapes and, you know, isolate and be eating completely by, uh, on my own in front of the TV for, you know, days at a time. Um, I'm, I did have some, you know, great, you know, TV, you know, <laughs> binges and so on. But a lot of what I would do is, you know, especially in college, is um, I would actually do my binges in front of other people. Um, and I think part of that was I thought that if there was somebody else there and they saw what I was doing, that it was somehow okay. Like that just because somebody else was around, that like it wasn't a problem that I was eating like this and, and abusing myself in this way. Well, the, the problem then became, well, the person that comes with me at like midnight is not going to be the same person that's going to come at like two in the morning because they're not going to be interested in going back. So I'd have to, I had to have lots of different friends and, you know, navigate um, through it and had to go through, you know, a lot of things just to feel comfortable, you know, binging, um, binging the way that I was. And, um, and what happened? So, um, I, you know, had not done exercise in a long time. Um, I was, had been just, you know, eating and eating and eating. And, um, and for the first time going into my junior year of college, I started doing exercise, which I hadn't done since high school. And, um, and then I thought, okay, so I'm taking care of myself somehow physically. Like, do I want to take a look at this food thing? And um, my dad, who's here, is um, in program, and he has now tw- 20 years. Um, as of February, it's 20 years of abstinence. And um, I had seen him, this was, you know, about five years into his program, um, or a little over five years into his program, I'd seen him go up and down um, with his weight throughout his life. And I'd seen him go on different diets and do different things and become a vegan or do this and so on. And then he came to away and things were different. You know, something was different than when he was on the other, the other, the other food plan. I now know he has, you know, kind of sense of serenity, um, that he has a sense of serenity around his food and his life that he didn't have before. Um, but I didn't get, yeah, I was 19, I was in the food, I didn't know what was going on. I just knew that he had done this thing and I knew nothing about it. Um, and so I said, hey, Dad, you know, what's up with this OA thing? And instead of talking to me about it, instead of giving me literature, he brought me my first meeting. And we went to the Serenity Sunday meeting at Roxbury Park, which still meets every Sunday. Um, there's a newcomer meeting at 10 a.m., and there is the main meeting at 10.30. That's still my home meeting. I will be there tomorrow. I look forward to seeing many of you there. And um, I, uh, we went to the newcomer meeting, and then we went to the main meeting. And the speaker at the main meeting, he had made, um, lost over 100 pounds and been maintaining the weight loss for years. I mean, I think it had been over five years, and I'd never even heard of that. And um, he had this huge belt buckle um, that he showed because he was, you know, pretty, you know, totally normal weight. And it showed, like, where he was compared, where he is compared to, you know, where he was and just, you know, showed it was just totally... Um, you know, amazing. And then he started talking about his higher power, and I didn't understand why he was doing that and what that was about. Um, but I was still, you know, intrigued. 
And guy came up to me after the meeting, and he was a little bit younger than I am now. I'm 35. He was probably early 30s, late 20s. And at the time, I'm 19. And um, he came up to me. He was a totally normal weight um, and said, I used to be over 400 pounds. Here's my number. So I was intrigued. So I called him. And um, I'll never, you know, never forget this conversation. We're, we're talking and talking about what it's like and so on and, you know, um, and, and some of my issues and some of his stuff. And then he says, Josh, uh, before you make up your mind on this program, go to six meetings. Because if you go to enough meetings, you might even hear your story. And I have heard my story countless, countless times. And not just from Jack, but from other people, okay? Um, and uh, from people who... Um, that on the outside, we might have little to nothing in common with. Um, and um, who we might be different politics, different socioeconomic, different cultures, different country, different religion, different gender, different anything, everything. Um, but when we start talking about the food and these feelings, we're exactly the same. And, um, and we have the same crazy thinking, the same crazy brain, same um, insane instincts. Um, that I'll still try to go to, and that's why I have to call my sponsor every day to be reminded. That's why I have to go to meetings to be reminded. That's why I have to pick up the phone when my sponsees call to be reminded. And um, so if you are new, keep coming back, because if you come to enough meetings, you might even hear your story, and you'll hear your story from someone that you would not even think that you would, uh, you would hear it from. So... Um, so I, you know, was willing to go to any lengths, um, and um, I, um, I was having a hard time finding a guy to sponsor me, um, and went up to, um, you know, multiple people, and, and everybody was full. And at the at the time, it was really there were a lot less guys in in, in program, and um, but they had a men's meeting um, that met on Wednesday nights in Brentwood. It still meets, but now meets in Westwood. And I went to the meeting to find a sponsor because I'd been coming to program for a few weeks and I, you know, was really, you know, trying to trying to get it and couldn't find anybody. And um, and so went to the meeting and during the meeting they didn't announce sponsors, right? So the meeting, like we close up the serenity prayer. I still don't know who sponsors. And I just said to the group, like after, because it's a pretty small group, maybe like you know, 12 people. I said, hey, I've been coming to program for a few weeks. Like I really need to find a sponsor. Three guys came up to me after that meeting and offered to sponsor me. And that was how I got my first sponsor. And my first sponsor was exactly who I needed at the time. Um, amazing guy, very sweet. Unfortunately, he's no longer um, in program, but he really, he really helped me for years, a um, couple years. And uh, really, you know, really you know, took me through the steps. And I still remember it was like we got to the fourth step, and I was so worried because he said, Josh, right, you know, he was writing out all the resentments, all this stuff. And I thought, oh, I don't have any resentments, you know, going into it. And then as soon as we started writing, it was like all the shit came up. Um, and, um, and then, but the other thing he said was, write down your deepest and darkest secret. I was like, what? And then, and then he wanted me to share with them too. So obviously, I wanted to push that back. And I remember, I thought this was like such a big deal and sharing it with him um, and going into it and really like taking that leap of faith. And it was like, he embraced it with like such love and like no judgment and just you know that's yeah it's no big deal you know and like I, I still remember like that feeling like being lifted of like being honest you know of, 
of, of being able to, to be honest with another person and, and do that and not have to not have to hide. And um, the um, and after a while, he he ended up dropping out and um, found some other sponsors along the way and had a few few other sponsors and then now for about the last close to 10 years, I don't know exactly when I started working with my current sponsor, but I started working with him. And he's someone that I've known in program for a while um, before I started working with him. And what happened with my um, most recent previous sponsor was I was calling him every day because I need to call my sponsor every day, but I was never getting him. And I was very rarely getting a call back and it wasn't, it just wasn't working because I needed a sponsor that I could connect with. And my current sponsor was somebody that I knew and that called me all the time and that I called occasionally, but I could get on the phone anytime I called him. So that was a big part of the reason that I picked him to be my sponsor was because I needed somebody that I could connect with every day. I connected with him on the way over here this morning. We were able to talk. And a big part of the, you know, that was like why I chose him initially, but now it's like, why, why is he my sponsor? Well, he has over 30 years of abstinence. He has what I want. He has a relationship with his family that I want. He is one of the most patient, understanding, loving people that I know. Um, he is just incredible um, to his family and, um, and just, uh, just always thinking of others um, and always um, being of service. He makes more outreach calls than anybody else I know in this program. He's like the kind of person, if you get on his list, he's just going to you know, call all the time and and check in on people. Um, one of the things that I learned from like my early sponsors was like that you call them like they don't call you. And he doesn't subscribe to that. Um, if like he hasn't heard from me in a you know, few days, he'll check in. Um, if it's a holiday, even if it's like a sponsee that he hasn't talked to in years, he goes through his list. He calls every single one just to wish him a happy holiday. No, nothing else. And it's like, He's just like, you know, always, and it's always like, he's never telling me what to do. It's always like, well, Josh, um, can I share with you my experience? It's never like, oh, you should do this. Because I'll call him and say, oh, this is the situation in which I do, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, we'll never do that. It's always like, well, could Josh, can I share with you my experience, strength, and hope? Can I share with you my experience? I'm like, yeah, of course. I've been calling every year and day for years. And, you know, and I talk about this all the time because his experience is virtually always the same, which is, well, Josh, if I write about it, if I pray about it, you know, my higher power gives me the answer. Right? So it's like, Josh, if you do the work, like, you're going to get the answer from your higher power, but you're going to have to do the work. Um, but he won't say it like that. Um, and, um, and he you know, has a spiritual program that I want. I mean, he's constantly you know, connecting um, with his higher power and, and thinking about that. So anyways, um, we're going to get to questions. So thank you for allowing me to share. Uh, this is the time for questions only. There's no sharing at this meeting. If you need to share, please do so with any of us after the meeting. Also, please remember that the opinions of the leader are my own and not those of Overeaters Anonymous as a whole. When asking questions, you need not identify yourself because um, we're being recorded. Uh, please remember, if you ask a question, your voice may be audible on the OA podcast. And um, okay, and it's till 9:35, so. And we'll get some warning. Yes, Casey. Thank you. Could you talk about your experience with steps six and seven? Sure. So the question, Casey asked, can you talk about your experience with steps six and seven? And uh, first time I went through steps six and seven, 
um, I was actually studying abroad in Melbourne, Australia. And going up into that trip, I had a lot of fear about it um, because it was very early into program. I got it in June, and I was leaving for the trip in January. And I was going from being in Southern California in college where I had gotten a home meeting at college and was able to come back to home for meetings, and I was going to be going out there and not. And this was way before... Um, cell phones where you could make international calls or calling numbers that were affordable and so on and with the time change there was absolutely no way that I was going to be able to um, connect with my sponsor um, while I got out there and I was just starting had just started step uh, step six and seven I think it was either starting seven or I'd I'd been going through my um, list of uh, defects of character um, here and I got there and I found this amazing sponsor and she was willing to um, sponsor me and took my phone calls every day. I called my food into her every day, you know, while I was like studying abroad in Australia with all these, you know, college students and so on. I'm, you know, sitting there calling her um, every day and she was probably, you know, 30 years older than me and, um, and uh, wanted to keep going with the steps and, and we kept, you know, going through um, with it, and we went through my list of defects of character, and she you know, talked about kind of the you know seven step prayer and how to you know praying about them on a daily basis. And I remember because I, I must have come up with with a lot of the list there because I came to her with the list, and then I put down um, compulsive overeater on the list. And I remember she's like, "No, it is not a defective character. It is a disease. It's a threefold disease." And we talked about you know kind of that difference, and I'll never remember. You know, th- you know, at that age, thinking you know that I would that I would do that. Um, but um, a lot of my um, you know defects of character um, that I had at the time that would you know come up um, are now you know coming up now again, which is like being the people pleaser, and then as well as like also managing that with like the ego and the self-centeredness and and, and doing both and um, and 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 kind of the the paradox of that. Um, and trying to find the balance and, you know, trying to be of service and, and, and really um, bringing my higher power into the defects of character because I can't control it any more than I can control my food on my own. I mean, that's just the truth. So, yes, Adam. Hey, you mentioned that you wanted to talk about your higher power. Sure. Power? Yeah, I should talk about my higher power. So, um, how long do we have? Um, yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so right now in particular... And I wasn't sure if I was going to be, you know, recorded for, because of this, I'm, you know, going through, you know, some stuff. And a lot of what I'm going through has to do with um, having difficult conversations while, while being in program and difficult conversations with people that I very much love. And that is hard for me because my natural instincts are to, you know, avoid conflict and to be the people pleaser. That's really what I want to do. And when, you know, and that doesn't always work. And right now I'm really, you know, getting in there and standing up for myself um, and doing that kind of stuff, but I need to rely on my higher power um, in order to do it because it is not natural for me to act like this and do this. Um, and, um, you know, and, and the other part of it is, you know, it's, it's one day at a time. I don't have to figure out everything overnight today. Like, I don't need to know everything. I just need to get through today. I need to do my, my, my part um, today. I need to, you know, just work the program today. I don't need to know, you know, the magic answer or anything like that. I just need to keep coming back. 
and I need to keep coming back to my higher power. And um, if you asked me before program if I believed in the higher power, I would have said yes. But if you asked me if I thought about my higher power on a daily basis, I would have looked at you like you were funny, you know, because I didn't. Um, and um, today I do. And one of the things that I do um, that's been really helpful for me is, um, which I learned from the phone meetings, is the phone meetings end every single um, call with, uh, with a prayer, usually a serenity prayer or the third step prayer. And somehow in unison people are able to, on the phone, you know, say this prayer. And now with my sponsor, every time we end a phone call, we end with a prayer. Um, and it's usually the third step or the serenity prayer or the seventh step. And we'll say, you know, either he'll ask me or I'll ask him, you know, what do you want to do today? And, and we'll do it. And then if I call him and I don't get through to him, I'll leave a message with the prayer. And if he calls me, he'll do the same. And my sponsees are now doing the same with me. Or we're ending with a prayer. Or if they leave a message, they'll end with a prayer. So then it's really cool because then when I'm listening to my voicemails, I'm hearing the prayer and then I'll you know, say it along with them. So constantly throughout the day, because I've got, I think, three or four guys right now that are fairly consistently calling, and then my sponsor, you know, I'm forced to connect with my higher power um, in that way. And um, I've had numerous experiences um, while in program that um, I have no other explanation for, but that they would be my higher power. Absolutely none. And if you asked me before program, I would have said, you know, they were coincidence and so on. But now in program, I can see them. And it's, and it's a beautiful thing. Um, and I'll, you know, share one of them and then we'll get on to, to more questions. Because I said I did want to talk about my higher power for a while. But um, the, um, I was, uh, so as I said, Serenity Sunday is my home meeting. It's my, I look forward to it every week. And um, there was one Sunday, um, about, it was four and a half years ago, that uh, my mother-in-law was being honored at a luncheon. So, of course, like it was at like 11 a.m. or whatever on a Sunday. So there was no way that I could go to Sunday Sunday, not even like catch the beginning and leave or whatever. So um, it was daylight savings, and I looked at the 12-stepper, and I was like, okay, well, there's this meeting in Culver City. Um, it starts at, I think it started at 9 um, on a Sunday. I'd never been to it because, you know, I go to my home meeting. And, um, but I was running late, but I really needed the meeting, so I decided to go, and I got there at 9.15 because of the daylight savings. I don't usually like to get to meetings late and so on. And, and I walked in, and it was this old AA room, and they had the 12 steps and 12 traditions on the wall, and I walk in. It's completely dark. No one's in there. I turn on the lights. You know, I sit down, and then this woman walks in, literally, like a minute later. She says, are you here for the OA meeting? I said, yeah, I am. And at the time, the part of the reason why I needed to go to the meeting was I had all this stuff going on at work that I couldn't figure out. I was, like, really struggling with. And, um, and so she's like, yeah, I, you know, I really need a meeting. Like, do you want to, you know, can we talk? I was like, yeah. So she starts talking, and she starts talking about her work and what's going on with her work. And she starts talking about her experience with her you know, work and what she's doing. And I'm like, it was like exactly what I need to hear. It was like literally like my higher power was talking to me through her. Um, then I started talking. Then she talked again. Then I talked. And then we uh, did the serenity prayer. And then literally, you know, a couple minutes after we ended, guy walks in and says, what are you guys doing here? I said, oh, we're here for the OA meeting. And I said, no, no the OA meeting um, clo- moved locations like a month ago. You can't be here. Okay, but it hadn't been it hadn't been updated in the in the twelve steppers, so we left and so on. But if it wasn't for you know 
the fact that like they had this brunch they didn't want to go to, and then they, you know went to this meeting I didn't want you know and blah blah blah. You know I wouldn't have heard what I, I wouldn't have heard what I needed at, at my other meeting. So I have no explanation but my higher power doing for me what I couldn't do for myself. I always think that I know what's best for me, but it turns out I don't. So. <laughs> yeah, please. Yeah, yeah. What did you do in early abstinence, maybe in the to what tools are you using when you feel either here you actually feel hungry or just the Okay, so the question was um, you mentioned that eating late at night was a uh, was kind of a trigger for me, right? And what did I do? What actions, what tools did I use to be able to get through eating at night in the beginning and now? Is that right? Yes. Okay, cool. Um, so, the, well, yeah, what I use now and what I use then are slightly different, although, you know, very similar. In the beginning, it was like, I didn't know how I was going to get through the night. Like, I did not know how I was going to get through the night without binging. Because the idea of, like, having dinner and then that being it. And I would stay up late and, you know, maybe I'd have, like, an apple or do something. You know, but it wasn't, like, anything like, uh, you know, the binges, binges that I used to have, um, you know, before. And I remember in the beginning, one of the things that I did was I got a lot of numbers of people that like to stay up late. And I would make these calls, and I would literally make calls at like 10, 11, midnight, you know, calling people that would stay up late because I needed to get out of my head and I didn't know how I was going to get through the night um, without, without the food. Um, and my sponsor did not take calls after like 9 o'clock or whatever, so I had to like, you know, share about it at meetings and find people that stay up late. And there are people that do stay up late and program that like to get those calls. So if that is something, you know, for you, um, and that, that's something, that's something great. And I learned early on that, um, you know, you make calls when things are good so that when things aren't good, you know, and you're thinking about, you know, the drive through or whatever, you're still making the calls. Right? Um, so that's, that's made a difference. Now it's like, um, I try to turn my higher, my higher power, but in the beginning I remember, you know, I would, you know, wake up in the morning and the prayer that I was saying was like, God, just like, please get me through the next 24 hours without compulsively overeating. Like, that was as simple as my prayer was. Like, just please, God, like, let me get through today without eating. If I had to think about the fact that I've been abstaining for 15 years from X, Y, and Z, or if I had to think about the fact that I might be abstaining tomorrow or for the next year from it, that will drive me nuts and make me want to go out and eat. But if I just focus on today, um, then, I, then I got a chance. But, yeah, um, you know, Keep keep coming back. Get get names. Get numbers. It's a fellowship, and the fellowship really really carried carried me along with my higher power. I mean that's the truth. Terrell. Um, so you came in early. So what did your eight step look like? Eight step list look like? Yes. Yes. Thank you. So Terrell asked. I came in early. What did my eight step list look like at 19 years old? Um, there were some people that you could guess that were on there. I had some really good friends in college that. Um, came with me to a lot of binges where they weren't eating and they just came along and I had to really um, apologize um, for that um, to them. And that was very, very difficult to do. Um, I had an amends very early because um, it wasn't until I got in a program that I was actually able to be in an int- intimate relationship with somebody. 
and um, and the first one that I was in, I broke up with her in such a way that like um, a normal person wouldn't do, right? Because I didn't know how to really be in a relationship and do that. And um, and she sent me a letter to be able to you know express herself. It was very um, you know it was her it, it was hard to read. It wasn't hurtful. It was hard to read, but it was appropriate. And I went through it with my sponsor. And at the time, it was like, my instincts was like, I don't want to talk to her. I need to move on. Like, I don't want to do that. He's like, you, you owe her amends. Like, you, like, I have to, you have to make her amends. Oh, oh no, she's not going to take my call. You know, she's not going to talk to me. Like, look what I did to her. There's no way. I said, no, you have to try. You got to do this. And, um, and, you know, I prayed on it and I called her. And of course, she's like extremely open and was willing to even meet me in person and she lived up in the Bay Area um, and it was a beautiful beautiful amends that in my head was going to go extremely differently um, than it did um, I'm trying to think about what some of the um, you know other amends that I had early um, early on on that on that on that first uh, on that first list but and it's you know, doing the amends also, it's like, I'm more forgiving now, you know, with people when they're, when they're honest with me. And it's like before program, I'd be, would hold on to those kinds of things and hold on to it. Now when, you know, people, you know, try to, you know, come to me. I had a business thing this last week where the person like completely overstepped and was completely out of line. Um, and I held my ground and didn't, you know, bit my tongue and didn't say anything. And, um, and he sent me a text after with, a, with an apology saying, you know, I'm sorry. And obviously, you know, he's not in program. He's not doing the amends the way that we have to do it with the, you know, in person and, you know, calling and so on. But I'm forgiving him. I'm, you know, praying for him. I'm, you know, you know loving him. I'm, I appreciate that he's, you know, um, doing that. Um, and before program, I would probably, you know, hold on, hold on to it. So, but, yeah. Yes, Michael. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I've had weight go up and down, absolutely, um, in abstinence. Um, and right now, I have more weight than I've had in the past, and that's, you know, something that I have to be honest about. Um, and, um, you know, it's not something to hide and so on um, it's and a lot of it obviously for us is you know coming down to the food you know I do exercise right now which I never did before and so that's an amazing thing but it's obviously it's all you know for me as a compulsive reader it's usually am I making the healthier choices for myself you know so that's usually what it comes down to with it and just um, being honest about it and taking it one day at a time and you know, not beating myself up about it, but but being honest and taking an honest look at stuff. So, yeah. Peter? Okay, so question is, is my spouse in the program? And then 
Um, is my spouse supportive of me in program and how much, what are the expectations of the program and so on? Um, my spouse is not in program for better or for worse. <laughs> um, and um, the, yeah, my spouse is typically pretty supportive of program. Um, she knows that I have my meetings and that I need to go to my meetings. She knows that I'm typically a better husband when I go to my meetings. So um, I think she appreciates um, when I go. Um, you know, we honeymooned on the big island, which was amazing. And I went to, I think, one or two meetings and talked to people ahead of time. And one of them gave me a ride to the meeting. So, and she was like totally supportive of that um, and me doing that. And we've gone on trips even to, uh, you know, I went to a meeting in China. I think she came with me to the meeting in China and then the one in Thailand I went to without her and so on. So she's, uh, she's been supportive of me, you know, getting what I need when we travel. And now with like the podcast and stuff, I tend to do that and I'm able to make calls and, and, that's been, and that's been really good to be able to have other ways to get meetings so I don't have to go as out of the way on the trip. But, you know, when you're traveling for a long time, you really, you know, need that stuff. And I needed a meeting on the honeymoon, I'll tell you. I needed it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so we talked about people pleasing and how has that changed in recovery and how do I deal with it? Look, I just, you know, I'm consciously making a, um, an effort to really deal with it right now on a daily basis. And for a while, you know, I had. I was, you know, had been, I was dealing with it last year and then I kind of let it, you know, um, let it go for a little while for outside circumstances. And then over the last month, I've been really, you know, trying to make a conscious effort to deal with it and stand up for myself and, um, and be more clear about what matters to me. Not just say it in a way where it's like, oh, you know, if you do this, great, but if not, no big deal. But actually saying, okay, yeah, this is important. You know, and being okay with having things that are important for me today. Um, but, um, but yeah, it's, it's still my natural instincts. I don't want the conflict. I just want everything to be okay. And um, as we know, it's life on life's terms. It's not always like that. So, but. Yeah. I have a question. Please. Um, I'm sure. Okay, so the question was, um, what's abstinence, right, when it comes to food? So um, I have two different things. I have an abstinence and I have a food plan. Uh, my abstinence has to do with how much I eat, and my food plan has to do with what I eat. So my abstinence is three meals a day and an optional snack. And the only time that that would ever change is if I'm traveling for, you know, a at 20 hours flying and so on there might and I'm staying up really long then I might have an extra you know small meal or something like that but usually it's like really you know three meals um, and um, the my food plan has to do with what I eat um, and um, for me I have it broken down by three different categories I have uh, green light yellow light and red light foods and my food plan and my abstinence is different than my sponsors and it's different than everybody that I sponsor. It has to do with my behaviors and my past behaviors. Um, some people can eat all foods moderately. I'm not one of those people. 
Um, I have foods on my red light list where if I start eating them, I can't stop. I can't stop thinking about them, and it's easier to just stay away. So I have certain foods on the red light list that you can guess that used to be really exciting to me that for the most part don't call anymore. Um, you know, dessert's a big one for me, and I haven't had that in over 15 years, one day at a time, and for the most part, I don't think about it. Like, it's not, it's not the answer. Um, and then I have yellow light foods, which are the foods that um, I can eat, but I have to be more careful. And then sometimes it's like, do they need to be on the red light list? And, um, and then I have green light foods that are really exciting because those are foods that, are, um, that I tend to be able to eat um, without, without much issues. Those tend to be the healthier choices, as you can imagine. So um, thank you for allowing me to share.